book of Proverbs, we're basically going to look in these first nine chapters at a father's plea to his son to get wisdom. And it's a series of lectures. So if you're a father, that should be nothing new for us, that there are lectures that a father gives to his children about finding wisdom. So we did the first lecture in chapter 1. We'll look at the second lecture here in chapter 2 as we, uh, as we look at this call for wisdom. Now one of the things that we want to kind of wrap our mind around in those first nine chapters, there's three times that we're going to see wisdom personified. Wisdom as an incarnate being. And when we see that, it's a direct correlation to Christ. Now we talked before, sometimes that's a struggle for some people because when you look at wisdom personified, it's always spoken of as her. But we talked before, if you remember, that wisdom is a gender-specific noun, which means it's always spoken of as her. It has nothing to do with the gender of the one for whom you're speaking, it's just the word. We remember we said sometimes ships or cars, people view it that way, like uh, she's my baby, the, the car or a ship are often looked at as, as um, female, not because there's a gender involved, but just the way that we look at those nouns. So same way in grammar for the word wisdom. The word wisdom is always, every time it's used, always it's in the feminine form. So the proper pronoun gr- grammatically with it is her, but it doesn't have anything to do with who is it referring to? Colossians, we look at this, this statement from Paul that says, All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. That, that in Him are all... And we'll see that tonight as we look at chapter 2. That God is saying that wisdom and knowledge is found in Him. That that's where we go to, to tap in. So when we look at those three personifications of wisdom, those are all going to really specifically... Uh, look like, especially when we get to chapter 8, going to look like Jesus. The other thing that you're going to see tonight as we look at wisdom and the call to get wisdom is some ideas or, or foreshadowing or backshadowing, depending on how you want to look at it, of what happens when wisdom comes into your life. So it's just kind of interesting as we work our way through the book of Proverbs that we'll keep those things in mind as we take a look at it. So let's look, Proverbs chapter 2. We'll just read through the chapter and and then we'll kick it off. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress in her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those whose integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray. Father, we lift this time to you, God. We look to your word, God. We look to... Uh, the things that your word lays out for us. And we pray, God, that we would have <clears throat> what the Father calls for in this chapter. That is, ears to hear. A heart bent toward understanding. A willingness to receive that which your word is imparting to us, God. And we allow your word to, to dictate the path upon which we walk, Lord. And we pray that 
you would be glorified and magnified as we come to your word together. We pray that we would allow your word to be the final arbiter in our life, deciding for us between the path of life and the path of death. And Lord, we just ask that you be glorified in and through it as we lay it out before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's some interesting things about this chapter that you're not going to notice because it's in English. There's 22 lines, it's a poem, and it's one sentence. One sentence all the way through. Crazy, you thought Paul had long sentences. Nope, we got nothing on the writer of the Proverbs. Long sentence. And each word in the first 11 verses begins with the Hebrew letter Aleph, which is A. And each word in the second 11 verses begins with the Hebrew letter Lamed, uh, which is, for lack of a better, we'll consider it as RL. So you have all of the lines in this, it's a poem, so all the lines in this poem in the first 11, all beginning with the letter A, all the final 11 beginning with the letter L. Each of them, it's in a chiastic pattern. So a chiastic pattern means you have mirror reflections uh, between like the first verse and the twelfth verse. Or the first four, we'll look at the first four together, and then the the second group of four. You guys get what I'm saying? So there's, there's just a lot of patterns. So when we come to Hebrew poetry, we come to comprehend and understand Hebrew poetry, we want to understand... That the Hebrew in their poetry did not do what like we do. We we rhyme words, right? Uh, so I was a poet and I didn't know it, right? We the words sound similar, or the cadence of the words is similar, so we call that poetry. But Hebrew also rhymed thoughts. So the idea wasn't necessarily that the words rhymed as much as the thoughts, the the concepts behind it merged together, fit together. So we want to see those things as we take a look at what. <clears throat> comes out. Now, the first 11 and the second 11 verses all correspond to one another. And as we work, they follow the same pattern. There, there'll be 4, 4, 3, 4, 4, 3. That's how the, the structure of the lines of the poetry flow through. So just so we can keep a, a, our mindset, where are we coming from? And I don't want us to, especially in the first nine chapters, separate what has gone before. So remember, the first lecture from the Father was the idea of this. Avoid the way of the fool. And the way of the fool is rejecting the invitation of wisdom. Wisdom has made an invitation. Come. And the fool rejects. Now we see in the Psalms, what is it that signifies the fool? The fool says what? There is no God, right? So you have the fool, there is no God. So today as we look at the second lecture of the Father that he lays out for us, it is... The way of the wise receives the invitation of wisdom. So wisdom is calling, and we respond. That's the way of the wise. Wisdom is calling, and we reject. That's the way of the fool. So we'll see this parallelism as we work our way through. <clears throat> Just so you can remember, well, where is this invitation at? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 through 23 Lay out the invitation of wisdom. Listen in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. and the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. So the idea is from everywhere, wisdom is calling, beckoning. Come. <clears throat> How long, O simple, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Remember we had those three categories. Simple is just a person who's naive doesn't know any better the scoffer is is um somebody who is well basically scoffing and the fool is saying in his heart what there is no god so you have this three different categories of people that are being called by wisdom to come and listen to what it says in verse 23 so if you will turn at my reproof jesus commands all men everywhere to do what repent and believe. If you will turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. It's an interesting thing for wisdom to say. No, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you. So that's the invitation of wisdom in the first lecture of the father to his son. Son, get wisdom. Be a wise man. 
So as we come into to chapter 2, chapter 1's focus was on the negative, the fool, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Remember we talked about those things. Now um, he's looking to, toward his son to tell him the positive aspects. This is what it looks like when you pursue wisdom. Here is the benefits of pursuing wisdom. Here is what those things lay out for us, or the value of those, as we look at, uh, at this poem beginning in verse 1. So first we'll look at the value of wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, <coughs> making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. He's calling his son. Look, there's a value. Here's the condition. You're going to see the benefit of wisdom, but here's what is required. Here's the response to the invitation. So wisdom is calling. Whoever will come, come to wisdom. Just like Jesus calling. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. What's the promise? I will give you rest. But what's the condition for the promise? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right? So the idea that Jesus is laying out, we see a parallelism here as we look at this opening of this <clears throat> um, poem in Proverbs. So here's the condition. First, be like Solomon's temple. Well, what do you mean? Well, the temple didn't house an idol. The temple housed the Word of God. The Word of God was kept in the temple. In fact, later on, when you look at the history of Israel, you'll notice that Israel declines... Uh, um, at the time of Josiah, Israel's in decline, they're wicked, they look just like everybody else, and all of a sudden, somebody's rummaging through the temple, and they find a copy of the Bible. And when they read it, they realize, oh my gosh, look, we're way out of track. This is what God told us to do, here's what we're doing, we better get right. So you have the reforms of Josiah that changes the direction of a nation, because once again, they began to apply the Word of God. So we see that word kept or housed in the temple. Now what's the New Testament say of us? Don't you know that you are the temple? Right? Our bodies are the temple of God. The idea then, if the word of God was to be kept in the temple, what does that mean for us? Where should the word of God be kept for us? Inside, right? That we keep the word of God inside. Why? Because the word of God is a final arbiter and authority in our life. To guide us on the path of wisdom. How we follow God. How we stand with God. How, how we know morally right from wrong. I know we all like to think we can do it. And if you're one, I'll, I'll give you the ancient Chinese proverb. But I've told it a hundred times. So you guys ought to be able to recite it back to me. About whether or not we can tell whether something is good or evil. What do we need? We need somebody who knows everything. If somebody knew everything, then they can tell me good from evil. Who does that? Who knows it all? God does, right? And has He revealed to us? He has. How has He done that? How has He revealed it to us? Through His Word. So we have His Word to help us comprehend and understand. So we want to keep, listen to how He says, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments. Now, the idea in Solomon's temple was that the Word of God was to have so much value that they kept it under guard, they treasured it, they valued it. We hear that same idea because oftentimes we'll come to the Word of God and, and we read the, the, the epistle of John and he says, if you love God, you'll keep His commandments. And then we look at our lives and we think, man, I failed to keep His commandment here. I failed to keep His commandment there. I failed to keep His commandment there. Man, I am... I don't know if I really love God. But what we have to understand is what is intended by the word keep. Do you store it? Do you value it? Do you treasure it? It's never been about performance, right? If we read the 103rd Psalm, guys, God says, um, here's what I expect out of you guys. I expect from you the same thing I expect from dirt clots. That's what he says. He says, I know your failure and I know this, you are dust. Last time I walked outside, looked at a dirt clod, I wasn't expecting a lot out of it. What's that dirt clod going to do? What is the purpose? Does that dirt clod desire me? Does that dirt clod desire relationship? 
Because that's our response to God. Do you love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, strength, right? Is your, is your heart open, peeled, bare, so that you can have or that you desire that relationship? Because if that's true, the other stuff will follow. So if the Bible says, if you love the Lord, He will give you what? The desires of your heart. Now that doesn't mean, I'll get a new Harley. What that means is if I love the Lord, He'll put godly desires in my heart. And if I have godly desires in my heart, then I can love God and do what I want and I'm going to be okay, right? See, everything comes back to that relationship. Loving God, treasuring Him, valuing Him. He's my treasure. He's that which is valued in my life. Jesus Christ is God the Word, isn't He? What does the book of Revelation say? Revelation chapter 19, what does it declare? His name is called the Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Right, So we, we have His representation, if you will, in the Scriptures lie, lying before us. The idea that here we have this which should be treasured, which should be valued, which should be held on to. <clears throat> if that's true, obedience will follow. But if you try obedience first without treasuring the Word, that's not going to happen. You get what I'm saying? I have a hard time doing something kind for somebody I don't care about. Do you find that to be true? It's much easier to do something kind for someone I care about. When I care about them, well, I, I want to do something nice, right? I want to, I want to be kind. I want to be considerate. I want to, I want to have mercy and grace, right? Well, it's the same way. This call is to first love God. Treasure His Word. And the rest, that's going to come as a result. We treasure God. We want to be like Solomon's temple. Then what, look what he calls us to. Making your ears attentive. How many times did Jesus say in the book of Revelation, let him who has ears hear? Now, just so we can clear that up, how many of us have ears? Is anybody missing any? Because for you, it would be him who has ear. Yeah, they may not work. <coughs> they may not work. But the key first is, do I have them? Good. If I got ears, then this is for me. So what's he asking me? Make your ears attentive to wisdom. It entails the idea of obedience. So I just want you to see the, the, the logical um, the, uh, root, right? Okay, so we love God, love His Word, we treasure His commandments, and then our ears become attentive. We start to hear what it is. He's asking us to do. It's, it entails the idea of following in wisdom. And then the, the third thing he asks of us, incline your heart. That has the idea of yielding. Yielding, right? Have you ever had a time where at some point in your life you just had to bow the knee to what God wanted instead of what you wanted? Sometimes it's like, wow, I, I, I wanted this, this to go that way. But I can yield to God's revealed will. It's either not yet, not now, or no, since it hasn't happened. So I'm going to yield. See the progression. We have love for God, treasuring His Word, treasuring His commandments, which leads to hearing what He's asking us to do, which is speaking of obedience, and then yielding to His will. All this is a natural progression of finding ourselves walking the path of wisdom. Yes, if you call out for insight. So the fourth thing we want to see, call out for it. What did James say? If any of you lacks wisdom, do what? Ask. Right? Ask. So what do we see happening next in the book of Proverbs? Treasuring the word of God, following obedience, yielding to God's will, and then calling out. Calling out for insight. Calling out. It's a movement, guys, from being passive to active. See, before I was just sitting back and I'm receiving the Word. The implanted Word is working in my life, calling me to obedience, leading me to a place where I'm yielding to Him. But it's moving me toward activeness, not passiveness. So now when I come to the fourth thing, I'm calling out for it. I I need more. I want more of what you have. I want more of what you're, you're laying out for me. I want to be able to possess... This which you are speaking of. So we call out. And then finally, you seek it. 
See, we've moved from, from passive to active. Now before, I was treasuring it. Now I'm digging for it. Now I'm rooting around. I got the pickaxe out and the shovel out. And, and I'm digging through the Word. I'm digging through, through life, looking for, pursuing God and His treasure. I'm seeking Him as my treasure. This is the progression of the value of wisdom. The value of having the relationship that God is calling us to with Him. Because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Him. So if you're seeking wisdom, you're seeking Him. It's not I'm seeking wisdom apart from God. You can't know anything apart from God. Whatever we know, we know because of Him. Because of His revelation, because of every good thing comes down from the Father, our Father in Heaven. Everything comes down from the Father of Lights. <coughs> every good and perfect Wisdom and knowledge is one of those things that the Scripture discusses. So we see the value. Here's the value of wisdom. Here's the progression as wisdom works in our life. What's the consequence? Well, the consequence is the next four. So the next four uh, stanzas, if we look at them that way, verse 5, it's going to talk to us about the knowledge of God and His protection. This is the result. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Then you will understand. So, when we see what's true in those first four stanzas, right? We treasure the Word of God. Leads us to obedience. We hear what God is commanding us. It brings us to a place where we yield to His will. It moves us from passive to active. Then we're calling out. Then we're actively seeking out that wisdom from God. Then what does the Scripture say? You're going to find what you're looking for. You're going to find what you're looking for. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. We talked about the fear of the Lord before. Just I don't want to make the, the word fear too generic because it really is the word fear. I know a lot of times we call it reverence, but it's, it's a proper response. I feared my father, but I wasn't necessarily terrified of him unless I needed to be. Right? We all knew when it was time to be terrified of our dad. And... But we also knew when it was time to revere or obey, hear what it is that he's asking. The fear of the Lord, I think, is a direct representation of obeying God. So then we'll know the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We're going to know him. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand. More than you want wisdom, more than you want to know God, God wants you to know him. So he says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? Those who diligently seek Him. Those who are saying, man, I, I want to understand more. I want to know you more. Not, not just the lip service, but the reality, the truth of heart that says, no, I'm pursuing God. I'm active in wanting to comprehend and wanting to understand. So we see the knowledge of God. We see the reverence of God pointing to obedience and the knowledge of God, which is the understanding that He's the source of everything. The source of all wisdom, all knowledge. Here's another key. All life. If our pursuit is not a pursuit for God, then it's a pursuit for death. Destruction. That's the line the Bible draws. If you're following God, you're choosing life. If you're not following God, you're choosing death. If you're following God, you're choosing light. If you're not following God, you're choosing dark, right? You guys get it? The Bible speaks in opposite, so we can understand <coughs> there's not a big plane of gray there in the middle. We either desire God or we don't desire God. If we desire God, we have or see life flowing as a result. So, when we talk about the knowledge of God, he's going to describe it in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So you have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding all pouring forth from whom? God, right? So when the, de- when the father is saying to his son, Son, in no matter everything you can get, whatever you get, get wisdom. What is he telling his son to get? Get a knowledge of God. Understand who God is. Now, if we have children, isn't that one of our greatest desires for our kids? To know that our kids are walking with the Lord? To know that they have a relationship with God? That they, that they enjoy the same hope that we enjoy. So this is the, the cry of a father for his child. Hey, get wisdom. <clears throat> In verse 7 he says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He stores up wisdom for the upright. 
What are the upright? The upright are the ones who are following in the way. The way. What, which, which way is that? Well, remember I said if you follow God, it's the way of what? Life. It's the way of light. If I reject God, I follow death or the dark. So the upright are those who are following Him. It comes to, later on, as, as uh, God's revelation progresses, it comes to mean the word righteousness, which is having a right relationship with God, which is a way of saying, I'm following Him. Right? The disciples weren't righteous because they did good things. What made them righteous? Their relationship with who? Jesus, right? And how was their relationship with Jesus? They were following Him. When Jesus called them to a relationship, what did it sound like? Hey, Peter, come follow me, right? Come follow me, let's go. Let's go. And so they would go and they would learn and they would receive from God wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So, first benefit, first consequence of receiving the invitation to wisdom. Receiving the call to a relationship with God. We have fear of the Lord and knowledge of God. All those things flowing. But then we also realize, He is my shield. Look at that next phrase. He is the shield to those who walk in integrity. He is the shield to those who walk in the truth. He's the shield that, that speaks of His protection, right? The only thing that can enter into my life is something that God wants in my life. That doesn't mean it's all easy. He never promised us that, did He? You and I, we focus on destination. I'm a big destination guy. If Kathy and I are taking a trip, we're going to be going to, to Yellowstone. I am not enjoying anything from leaving the driveway until I get to the campground at Yellowstone. I'm going to get to Yellowstone, period. That's, I'm gone. Destiny. I'm getting to my destination. But God is concerned with the journey. Because the journey is preparing me for my destination. So He's my shield. He's my shield. He will protect me. Anything that comes past my shield is something God wants in my life. Wants me to deal with. Wants me to grow through. So I can understand. I can know. My protection is Him. He's my shield. He will not miss. And so as my shield, <coughs> He's my shield as we respond to His Word and walk in truth. He protects us. He protects us. And He guards the paths of justice. He is guarding the paths of justice, the second way of protection. Now, anybody ever experienced something not just in their life? Wait a minute, God, I'm following you, and this was not just. It says, God says, I guard the path of justice. What's he telling me? I got it. God's way better at working that stuff out than you and I. Way better. You know, he will not do it as fast as you and I want. We would like justice now. Immediately, as long as it's not uh, justice on us, right? On us, we want mercy immediately. I'd like mercy now and justice now. Yeah, that's, we're kind of fickle that way, right? But the scripture says God guards the path of justice. So that means God has a purpose and a plan as justice flows. And I always go back to the end of the story. We read the end of the story in the book of Revelation. Jesus looking into our eyes and saying, look... I make all things new. Whatever injustice you've suffered from the point to today until we see His face, Jesus is going to wipe it out. He's going to take it all away. But He might not take it all away the way you want. It may be that which He uses to develop character within us for the journey, right? His is not the destination, it's the journey. He will get you home, but He wants you to come home a particular path. And He's the guardian of the path of justice. Right? Aren't there people who are doing good for the Lord who end up in jail? How come? Well, I have to assume God wants a prison ministry. There's somebody there he needs to hear the word. There's something he needs to develop in or through <coughs> men and women to accomplish that goal. And God is able <coughs> to do that. So he's the guardian. He's the one who guards the paths of justice. Listen to the last line. Watching over the way of the saints. Watching over the way of the saints. Yeah, God's got us. Well, if God's got us, then why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why do these things go on in our life? 
Well, uh, the easiest answer is this. Why is a crooked stick and it's never going to be straight? Does that help? Not really. <clears throat> it means that you, you may never get your wise. What I know is what Jesus says at the end. I make all things new. Whatever things, so here's my hope. Whatever things are wrong in my life will get set right. Whatever things were broken in my life are going to be set, are going to be healed, are going to be cured. He is going to accomplish all of that. He's going to look in my eyes and he's going to say, I told you, I started a good work in you and I'll finish it. And the, this is the means through which I finish it. What do you think the clay would say on the wheel when the potter's working on him? So we watch it and we're like, oh, cool, look at that guy. He's making something cool, the wheel spinning around. We don't think, is the clay getting dizzy? It's moving around, around, around. You, can you guys do that? You guys ever ride the teacups? Spinning things? I, I see a spinning thing, I run. Yeah, spinning equals puke, usually. Or horrific feelings. But when I think about the clay, I never think, how's the clay feel on that, on that wheel spinning around? What about when the potter's digging his hands into it and spreading it out and moving it apart? I never think about, well, I wonder if that's comfortable. If it was me, I wouldn't think it was comfortable, but hey, look at the potter. He's making something cool. What if when the potter takes that pot and he puts it in a fire? The fire's burning on the pot. We ever think, what was that? what's that pot feel like right now? Well, why are you making all these goofy illustrations? Because the Bible says, I am the clay, and he is the potter. So sometimes, yeah, we're spinning around. Sometimes we're uncomfortable. Sometimes we're in the fire. But is there a point? Is there a purpose to it all? That's all I need to know. When, when Kathy and I were going through a really tough time, but actually when I... You know, I had 13 years of doing everything against God I could possibly do. If I could think about it, I did it. (coughs) And then I started living for God, and everything went sideways in my life. Well, I wasn't living for God. It was okay. I started living for God, and slowly the whole thing starts collapsing, and we lose our house, and and, uh, my my boss rips off, um, like, $30,000 in retirement that I'll never see. Just gone. And as a result of that, the house goes away, start a new job, just, we we go through a period of time on a wheel. God's digging out the garbage. And all I needed to know in that time, I kept asking God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Anybody ever done that? And God said, I just want to know, Jackie, I just felt this. I'm really on the 10 freeway in California, which you have a lot of time to think there because you're not usually moving. <clears throat> so on the 10 freeway, I just really feel him impressed. I, I would almost say he spoke to me, but, you know, I don't know that I heard words. You guys been there, right? And, and I, I just sense this. Do you love me more than these? All I needed was purpose. Oh, there's a purpose to this? All right, burn it away. Take it. I want you more than I want this. So that's all part of the process. He's the guardian of the way. He watches over the way of the saints. He didn't lose us. We think, oh, God, are you watching? Because things are getting hard right now. And it's, I know, God's like, I'm working on you, dude. You're spinning. I'm digging you out. I'm turning you into the pot. So shall the, shall the, the pot say to the clay, or should the clay say to the potter, why have you made me this way? Or should he just say, wait, let's see what he's going to do. Because he said, I'm doing a, what kind of work? Good or bad? Good work. Good work. He didn't say, I'm doing a pleasant work that feels good. He said, I'm doing a good work. Right? I'm doing a good work. I'm working on and for you. So these are the positive things. Seek wisdom. (coughs) if, If the first four is true... Then the second four is true. What we know God, we understand the fear of the Lord. We know that He's our shield. He's the guardian of the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then we have the last series, three in this first half. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and equity. 
So you will understand what is right, what is just, and what is fair. The more you know God, the more you will understand those things. If in our nation today we aren't experiencing righteousness, justice, and fairness, that is because our nation does not know God. Because if you know God, those three things follow. Rights, justice, fairness. Every good path. That's what he says. Every good path. You'll know how to walk. You'll know what's right. Now, our nation has it backwards. We know what's wrong. We worship a culture of death. We celebrate union between man and man and women and women. Now, why is that wrong? The only reason I need is because God says so. But let me just say this. In a simple terms, life doesn't come from that union. Life comes from another union. Remember I told you God's way is the way of what? Life. The other is the way of? There's only two ways. There's only two ways. Way of life, way of death. So the idea here is, look, you're, you're going to understand the good path. How do I know the good path? From my own mental acuity? Because I'm so smart, I read so many things, I read all this, this good philosophy. Is that why I, I understand good paths? Or is it because I have submitted to the Word of God? I acknowledge that the Word of God is authoritative in my life. I treasure the Word of God, I follow His ways. Which one shows me good path? The good path comes from the Word of God. Is it the easy path? No, it would be easier just to tell everybody, do whatever you want. I don't care what you do. But I think when you remove God, you are left with absurdity. You want to talk about absurdity? Let's have bathrooms for whosoever will. But that's just stupid. We already got bathrooms. Why do we need to go around and build more bathrooms? Why do we need to change the signs on a bathroom? Why don't we just use the bathroom? This should not be hard. I don't remember a lot of conversation about this when I was a kid. There was not a lot of confusion. I have a simple solution. Everybody, especially in the world, everybody acknowledges that science is God, right? So let's just use science. Science says what you are. Take your blood. You have one of two possible sets of chromosomes. If you're one of less than the 1% who have something different than that, I'll make you your own bathroom. But otherwise, but what do we do? We get rid of God. We don't want to obey His Word. We don't want to consider His Word. We reject that. Even some Christians say, well, that's just stupid. We should evolve past that. Well, once I evolve past that, once I push out the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, then I'm left with absurdity. That's our world. Absurd. That's what it is to reject the knowledge of God. Every good path is found in following Him. For wisdom will come into your heart. Doesn't that seem interesting? They would say it that way? Wisdom will come into your heart? Does that remind you of someone else who comes into your heart? Right? Wisdom will come into your heart. (coughs) And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Why? Because the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ Jesus. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. What's really going on? Wisdom is being assimilated. It's becoming a part of you. Listen to how Jesus said it. Wisdom is being assimilated, so it's becoming a part of my body. It's in my heart. Jesus said it like this. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Now what's he saying? We're supposed to be cannibals? The disciples were supposed to get a fork and knife and just start cutting off chunks? Was that what he was saying? No, it's, it's ludicrous to think that's what he's talking about. What's he saying? I need to be assimilated into you. I need to be in you. Revelation says it like this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll answer the door, I will what? Come in. I will come in. When we eat food, what happens? Food is assimilated into our body. It becomes a part of us. If we eat Christ, what does he become? Part of me. He becomes a part of me. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is what he's asking. The same thing we see of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 2. Assimilating wisdom. So if the root is alive, what do we say? There's going to be fruit, right? There's going to be fruit. What's the fruit that it talks about here? Doing what is right will become attractive. I want to do, I want to do, it's pleasant to your soul. The way of knowledge is pleasant to my soul. I want to do what God says is right. 
Discretion will watch over you. Understand the difference between right and wrong. Good and bad. That's the idea of discretion. Understanding will guard you. I'll, I'll have understanding. I'll, I know the path I need to walk. Why? Because wisdom is a part of my life. Where is wisdom found? In Christ Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Him. <laughs> in our lives. We also will see protection from the evil man. Look at verse 12 through 15. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Now we're going to see two descriptions of, of evil that we're being delivered from. <clears throat> and one is called evil men, and one is called that evil woman. So, I don't want you necessarily to focus on the gender. The gender of the roles is not what's important. What's important is the way of evil men is loud, boisterous, and leading down the path of death. And the way of evil woman is seductive. It's, uh, it's um, smooth speech. One's harsh. Let's go! Come on! Back! And like mob mentality. And one is quiet, just whispering to you. It's not necessary. I don't want you to focus on just sexual immorality or the sins of murder. I just want you to see the picture of two kinds of evil. The way that evil tries to woo, call people. Sometimes it's loud. Can you believe what people will do in a mob mentality? I bet some of those people you would talk to would say, I'd never do something like that. But we see crazy mob violence and you look at it and think, why in the world would you think that's a good idea? Yeah, why burn your whole neighborhood down? I've never been so mad at injustice that I lit my house on fire. But, but why does that happen? That happens because, because we get in a mob mentality. And a mob mentality is like the evil men who call you with perverted speech. And we get caught up in this thing. I just want you to see it like that. It's not because, I'm not trying to say, please don't hear that. I'm trying to say, well, this group of people stupid because they did that. No, everybody's capable of doing that if they listen to the voice of evil men, which is loud and boisterous and calling us to disobedience. And the same is true of the, of the forbidden woman. We're all capable of listening to the seductive speech of the devil and going down a way of death. That's the point. Taking the way that leads to death. Listen, delivering you from the way of evil men, from men of perverted speech. What do we say? The first thing we need to learn to control when we are learning to, to bring our body into subjection is what part? Tongue, right? What's the first thing he called them? Men of what kind? Perverted speech. Why? Because from the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So when somebody stands up and they're part of a group and they're calling for, for uh, violence, what's in their heart? Violence. That's not, it's not a trick question. Violence is in the heart, right? right? Somebody's calling for peace, what's in their heart? Yeah, it's just what comes out of the lips finds its root <coughs> first in the heart. They have perverted speech. What have they forsaken? The paths of uprightness. So that means they're not walking according to the word. They're walking according to their own reason. Okay? We tracking? So they're not taking the path of uprightness. They're walking in the ways of darkness. Remember I told you walking with God is the path of light. Walking not with Him is the path of darkness. Okay? So they're walking in the path of darkness. They're rejecting the truth of God. They're rejecting the commandments of God. They rejoice in doing evil. They delight in the perverseness of evil. <laughs> they rejoice in doing wrong. Even though it's done it. When I, have, when I have God in my life, I can see the absurdity of the behavior. But if I move that, I don't see the absurdity of the behavior anymore. Now it just makes sense, yeah? If you don't have God, I should be able to do whatever I want. If I want to do it, who's to tell me it's wrong? Why should you have the right to tell me it's wrong? <clears throat> Why should you be able to say, this lifestyle or that lifestyle is wrong? I've rejected God, so whatever I want is right. That's the truth. You think I'm crazy? Go to Scottsdale, stand outside Planned Parenthood. Because that place is a zoo. Holy cow. Zoo. You can see it on YouTube. It's all over YouTube. It is a zoo. I told you before, the Satanic Temple is escorting women for abortions. The anti-fascism crew from ASU, you know, they, they, they're the, those are the guys that dress up like 
I, I know they're not ISIS, but they dress up like that, black pajamas, black covering over their face. They're, they're out to bring fascism and socialism to the United States. That's the next crew of folks coming through college. Yippee. <coughs> but what do they all have in common? Why can they all gather together? Why will an anti-fascist stand right next to a proclaiming Satanist and work together? Why? Because they both have done the same thing. What's that? Reject God. What am I left with? Just absurdity, weirdness, crazy stuff. Crazy. But that's the heart of evil. They love doing evil. They delight in the perverseness of evil. Those women literally will, will call out to the folks that are standing there, the, the pro-life folks and, folks, and say, yep, we're going to go kill a baby right now. It's crazy. Don't tell me they don't know what they're doing. They absolutely know what they're doing. They're not wondering. They're, it's there. They, they rejoice in doing evil, delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked. And who are devious of their ways. So what do we say? When we are anchored to the word of God, we have protection from that. We won't become that. We can recognize that. We can see it. We can discern. We can understand. Because we're spiritually alive. So they see. They forsake uprightness. Walk in darkness. Rejoice in evil. They have crooked paths. And lies are in their wake. Then we also see protection of the evil woman. Now don't think necessarily gender. Just think the style. The style of evil. One's loud, one's sneaky. Are you tracking with me? So it says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden women, <coughs> from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth. So she breaks promises. This, this evil is a promise breaker. Forgets her covenant with God. Breaks her promises to God. For her house sinks down to death. Where's the path go? What path are you on? Life or death? So you're on the path of death. Her paths lead to the departed. That's a nice way of saying the spirits of the dead. <clears throat> and once you are a spirit of the dead, there is no coming back. That's what that next phrase means. Look at it. None who go to her come back. The idea is if you follow that way, the, the path leads to death and destruction, and you become one of the spirits of the departed. And once that happens, once you're in the grave, you don't get a redo. Tracking? So one is smooth words, fine speech, one loud and boisterous calling for <coughs> um, radical departure from God. Both lead to the same place. Nor can you again regain the paths of life. Once you're dead, you don't come back. And that's the point of the story. The story is, if I follow that evil path, it goes to death, I die, I can't come back. Okay? It doesn't mean if I mess up and I did something wrong, I can never get on the path of doing right again. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about following to its fullness. If I follow this woman down to her house, it leads to the path of the departed. Once I'm in the path of the departed, there's no coming back. There's no coming back from that. So what's God's way? Last three verses, last part of this poem. So you, speaking to his son, you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. How do I do that? I treasure the word of God. Treasure his commandments. I incline my ear to him. I incline my heart to him. I walk the path of light. I walk the path of life. It doesn't lead to those places. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. So I just want you to understand this poetically. I'm not trying to make a political statement about Israel and the land and whether or not they should have the land or even whether or not this is a promise for that. This is a promise that says if I follow God, I'll end up in the land. The land equals life. I'll end up in the land. I'll end up in the place I want to arrive, the destination I've been trying to get to, right? I'll be in the land. I'm in the land because I have chosen the path of life. I've chosen the path of light. I will inhabit the land. And those with integrity will remain in it, holding fast to the word of God. But the wicked will be cut off. The wicked don't get in the land. The wicked don't come into the land. What is the book of Revelation when it talks about the, the new heaven? What does it say? Who's not there? The dogs, the sorcerers. Dogs is a way of saying bad or evil people, not animals. 
the dogs aren't there, sorcerers aren't there, uh, uh, the adulterers aren't there, sexually immoral aren't there, murderers aren't there, liars aren't there. What does it mean? That the wicked don't get into the land. That the land is for the righteous. How are we made righteous? Through Christ, right? Not me. Because of my pursuit of the treasure of God. So I, as a young man, heard the cry of my father and got wisdom. And wisdom is Jesus Christ. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So they won't be there. The land equals life. The way of God is light and life. That's the path we want to take. Amen? Amen. That is the second lecture of the father to his son about getting wisdom. Why don't we pray together? Father God, we thank you for this time that we can come and study your word. God, and I thank you for the depth of your word. And I pray, God, that we would be challenged to say, man, I want to understand. I want to know. I want to grow. I want to develop these these concepts and ideals in my life. Lord, I pray that as we study the book of Proverbs, we'd see that. That we would see your call, your direction, calling us to wisdom. The invitation. It's sitting there, even in the Old Testament. Come unto me, and I will give you life. Follow me. My path is a path of light and life. It leads to the land. And the land is what we want. The land is home. God, I pray that we would understand the way of the wise. And we would say, that's the path I want to walk. I want to stand on your word. I want to understand what is the difference between moral right and wrong. Because I know it because it's in your word. Apart from you, how can I know it? Without God, how can I understand morality? With God, you give it to me. (coughs) A God transcendent, holy other, outside of, of this world, outside of time, outside of my understanding, has revealed to me, here is the path of life. Walk it. I'm sure, Lord, in that in that Garden of Eden, that place of perfection, when Adam and Eve heard that they could eat of every tree, just not one. 